You don't have your mic on. I think it's on. There we go. There are times in life when you are not sure if what you are doing pleases God. You may, is this pleasing to God, this thing that I'm doing? I, I can't find book, chapter, verse, but I want to be pleasing to God. Well, I can assure you this morning that your being here pleases God. I can assure you, you can have 100% confidence in your presence pleases Him, that we are assembled here on the first day of the week to worship and to praise Him for who He is and for what He has done for us. We are thankful uh, to be in His presence and to express our love for Him. I'm thankful to the elders for allowing me to be here this morning uh, to share a message with you. Let's go to our Father for a word of prayer before we begin our lesson this morning. Father, we love you. We are thankful for life. We're thankful for every good and perfect gift that you give us. We are thankful for Christ. We're thankful for the life that he gave on the cross. We're thankful for the blood that was shed, for it's the blood that washes our sins away. And it is by grace, through faith, that we are saved. And we are thankful for that mercy and grace and forgiveness that's only found in Christ. We know that we fail, we fall short of the mark that you've set before us. We know that we sin, and we pray that you continue to forgive us. Give us the courage to be bright lights in this dark world. Help us to do all things by faith. Help us to find that way of escape from temptation. Bless our worship this morning, bless our study, and may all that we do be to your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's been war since the beginning of time, I suppose. Since God's creation, men and women have been fighting in wars. Empires have conquered other empires. Countries have conquered countries. Boundaries have been redrawn. And that is still happening in our world today. There is war it is said about the American Civil War that had one side had a pair of Radio Shack walkie-talkies, the war would have ended much sooner. Because in those days, and of course even back into ancient times, communication was so slow on the battlefield. The, the way that you communicated what was happening on the battlefield was a man getting on a fast horse. And, and when that horse ran out of energy, he handed the message to another man on a, a fast horse, and he went as far as that horse could go. Eventually, the message would get delivered. In ancient times, in Greek culture particularly, that was the angelos, the Greek word that means the messenger, sometimes translated messenger in the Bible, sometimes translated angel. He was the angelos, and he would come back from the battlefield and if there was victory, he would say, we won. And they would have parades, and they would have parties, and they would have weeks-long celebrations about the victory that their people had, either the village or the country, whatever the case may be. So if this angelos brought the good message, he, if he brought good news, he was a euangelos, E-U at the beginning. Anytime, by the way, you see a word in English that starts with E-U, it usually means good, good something. A eulogy is good things you say about someone when they die. A euphemism is a good word for a bad word. 
euphoria is a good feeling. Well, in the Bible, when we talk about one who delivers the good news, the Bible calls that the the Bible calls that the gospel. That's the word that we have, the euangelos, the good message, the good news has been delivered. And the best part about this, the fact that we have, through inspiration, the writers of the New Testament, the best thing about it, the most interesting thing about the battlefield in those days was when the message came to the people and said, we have victory, they were relieved because... They were not the ones who did the fighting. The people in the villages and in the countries, they were living their lives. They were going about their lives in in everyday normal situations. The report was about what the soldiers were doing in the far off place somewhere, but the people back home got the victory. That was the good news. The Angelos brought the good news. You see, in Christ, we have victory, but we didn't do the work. We were not the ones who had to go achieve. We were not the ones to save ourselves. It was Christ who did the work on the cross. You know, the prophecy in the earliest chapters of Genesis about Christ, that his heel would be bruised, but he would crush the head of Satan. Faith is the victory we sing. Christ did the fighting. Christ gained the victory. And we are saved. Not of ourselves, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. It is, it is the gift of God. I want us to talk a little bit today about the gospel. The famous passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the first five verses really what Paul is saying here to the Corinthians, and he had just written a whole letter about all the problems that were going on in Corinth, but he talked about the time when he first got to this place called Corinth. And he said in this letter to them, toward the end of this book, he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, this good message, this good news that I preach to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you. Unless you believed in vain, he said, hopefully this is stuck. Hopefully it's still in you. Hopefully your believing was not a vain belief, but a real sincere belief. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I received. So when I got to Corinth, see there's a lot of things I've already talked about in this letter, and I would talk about a lot of things while I was with you. But what was most important, what I had to tell you at the beginning What overrides all the other things, what everything else points to is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And he goes on to say about others who Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. Paul said, the most important thing I could have told you when I got there was this good news of Christ. The most important thing for me to say upon my arrival 
is that Jesus died, was buried, was raised. And after he was raised, he appeared to many people. He said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, this is sort of the thesis verse of the book of Romans. You can take this as the topic verse and everything else. The next six, these 16 chapters of Romans really just go back to this verse. Paul said, there's a lot of things to be embarrassed about. One thing I'm not embarrassed about, one thing I'll never be ashamed of is the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. Why would you ever be ashamed of the power of God? Why would you ever be ashamed of salvation? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone in this room, that power is available to you. If you are not in Christ, if you've never obeyed the gospel, Paul, through this letter and through the inspiration of the Spirit, is teaching you today that this power, this salvation could be yours as well. He says it came to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Acts chapter 2, it went to the Jews first and then to the Greek. It went to the pattern that Jesus had mentioned in Acts chapter 1 and the way the gospel would be spread. Paul being the apostle to the Gentiles, he also preached to the Jews as well, but on that road to Damascus, Jesus said, you're going to take the gospel to those people who, who didn't grow up with the law, all those pagans and people who were worshiping all those other things. Because it's available to everyone who believes. That's the good news. This morning, for just a few minutes, we're going to talk about the why of the gospel. We're going to talk about the who of the gospel. And then we're going to talk about the what now of the gospel. Let's start off talking about the why. Why? Well, see, it can't be good news unless there's possible bad news. Why is, why is this good news? Why is there the gospel in the first place? Well, because when it comes to news, something being good news, there has to be the possibility of bad news. When you call your spouse, say, hey, honey, I just got a raise at work. They gave me a promotion. Well, that's good news because the possibility is you could have been laid off by the boss that day. You could have gotten your pay reduced. It's good news because it, it could have gone the other way. I've got good news. The doctor says the cancer is in remission. Why is that good news? Because he could have said the cancer is spread. It's only good news when there's a possibility that there is bad news. So what's the bad news that's being addressed by the gospel? What is the, the thing that's being negated by the news of the gospel? Of course, it's sin. It's sin. You know that one of those original words used for sin that we have translated to the word sin is it simply means at its essence to miss the mark. God set a mark for our lives and said that's what I want you to hit. That's my will for your life. And, and we aim at it and we miss it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know in, Act, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. In the beginning of the book of Romans, we said earlier, Romans 1.16 is sort of the thesis of that book. After he says that in chapter 1, verse 16, he goes on to talk about the Gentiles in chapter 1. He says, the Gentiles, oh, well, let me tell you how they've sinned. They've sinned in ways that are just unnatural to human beings. 
He says you have women with women, you have men with men, you have all sorts. He goes on to list several others, uh, all types of sins toward the end of that chapter. And he says not only are those bad, but we got a lot of people cheerleading those sins, giving hearty approval to the sins that are being committed by the Gentiles. He said there is sin all over the place when it comes to those who never had the law. And so a Jewish person could be reading chapter 1 and say, oh, I know those, those Gentiles, boy, they never get it right. But then he goes into chapter 2 and he says, oh, all you Jews, don't pat yourself on the back yet about the law. Because you've always said, oh, we have the law. God is on our side. And he said, if you put your faith, hope, and trust in the law, that's not going to work either. He said, you can also be outside of Christ. Putting all of your faith in the law, that's not where your hope should be. And then chapter 3 basically narrows it down and gets to verse 23 where he said, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all is a short word, but it, it fits everybody in the world in that word. All the people can fit in those three letters. Then he goes on to chapter 6. And he says, For the wages of sin is death. Boy, that's bad news. You've earned it. Sin is what you've earned. Sin is what you have committed. And condemnation and eternity in hell would be the holy justice of God. It's what we deserve for our sins. Sin must be punished. Sin cannot be tolerated. He says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what you've earned. The free gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Free gift, grace. Free gift, what you don't deserve. But what you'll get in Christ. And of course, Ephesians chapter 2 in the first four verses, Paul couldn't have explained it any better. In those first few verses of Ephesians 2, he essentially says, you are dead spiritually. You're really dead spiritually. You are really, really dead. And then he comes to that great transition when he says, but God, being rich in mercy. And then he talks about being saved by grace through faith. And it's not anything you can brag about. He says, you can't boast about it. You can't pat yourself on the back and say, I saved myself. Or look at all the good things that I've done. All these good things are, are going to negate the bad things. And I'm going to be saved on a curve. When 51% of what I do is good and 49% is bad, I get to go to heaven. Paul said, don't ever say that. It is a gift from God. You can't boast in those things that you've done. Your salvation is not in what you did. Your salvation is the victory that was gained by Christ over that power of Satan. The who of the gospel, of course, is Jesus. That's the answer that every four-year-old in Sunday school answers to any question. <laughs> Jesus. The, the teacher always will find an answer there. And most of the time, that is the right answer. Because it's all about Jesus. 
He is the core of the gospel. He is what the gospel is all about, the most famous verse in the world. You know, ask anybody on the street, quote a verse in the Bible. They might say Genesis 1-1, but they're probably going to say John 3-16. For God so loved the world, he loved the world so much, what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. He didn't say he loved the world so much, he wanted to make him pain-free. He loved the world so much that he made sure that everybody loves him never gets cancer. Everybody loves Jesus. Everybody knows anything about, or about God. They can, they can have all the money they ever wanted. And they're all going to be rich. God loved the world so much. What was the thing that he was going to do for the world? He was going to give his son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's not a comment about that, not anything culturally related or status related or socioeconomic status or any of those types of things. The gift is spiritual, the gift is eternal, and the gift is in Christ. He's the center. The angel came in Matthew 121 and says, what's, what's Jesus going to be here to do? Why is he going to be here? To save his people from their sins. Jesus said that himself. Came here to seek and to save that which is lost. Of course I'm going to eat with the tax collector. Of course I'm going, to <clears throat> I'm going to talk to the woman at the well. Of course I'm going to assemble with these people that all the Pharisees and all those people had rejected. Because I'm here to seek and to save that which is lost. The gospel is about Christ. Have you ever asked yourself or asked someone else, why won't this person be baptized? This person's heard the gospel so many times, they won't obey the gospel. Why won't they? Or maybe you've had somebody in your life, uh, a relative, a friend, somebody that you grew up with, and you say, they wandered away from the Lord. They're not as faithful as they used to be. Why? Why is that? We ask those questions. You know, and we say, well, I'm trying to convince them about baptism. I've showed them the verses. And we've talked about the word. And we've, we've watched people be baptized. And, and I don't know what the, the right words to convince them about it. And I said, well, maybe it's just you need to talk more about Jesus. Does this person know Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross? In Acts chapter 2, Peter famously steps forward from among the apostles and starts that sermon. And if you look at the beginning of it, he says, Jesus, and toward the end of it, before being interrupted, he talks about him being the Christ. Have you ever noticed that in Acts chapter 2, throughout that whole sermon, he never says a word about baptism? He doesn't mention it. They asked, they interrupted, what shall we do? Oh, then the answer came. But those people wanted to be baptized because they heard a sermon about Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. And it says they were pierced to the heart. Yes, there was an emotional response to what they had heard. They had gained knowledge for sure. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. But they heard about Christ. 
Why won't that person be baptized? Maybe it's the fact they don't know enough about what Jesus did for them. Because when you find out somebody died for you, you want to serve them. You want to help them. You want to do whatever they want you to do. Because you say, that person saved my life. Why would the person drift away from the Lord? Why are they not as faithful as they used to be? Maybe they forgot what Jesus did for them. The who of the gospel is Jesus. It's a sinner. We wear the name of Christ as Christians. And he said we serve him only. I think 2 Corinthians 5.21 is the core verse of the gospel. It doesn't have the word gospel. I love this verse so much. When I was preaching at Bethel, a lady cross-stitched the verse for me, put it in a frame, and gave it to me as a gift because I had mentioned this verse so much. For God made him who had no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now that sounds like a lot of deep theology, but let's think about it this way. You come into the world like this. You come into the world innocent. And I believe that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, unless you are converted and become like little children, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. You regain that innocence when you're converted. You have those sins washed away. You are like that child. But you grow up and you've been asked and wondered so many times at what point does someone understand the gospel? We talk we use that phrase, age of accountability. What age should a, a person be before they can truly understand and accept what the gospel is? Well, you know, these are the sins we start committing. We, we sort of start to muddy this innocence. I don't know when that is, by the way, if you ask me that question. When someone can appreciate all that there is to the gospel and what sin is and who Jesus is, what the message is of Christ. Well, we know this is what happens, and eventually, this is our lives. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are stained by sin completely. James even says in his book, toward the end of the New Testament, he says, you violate one part of the law, you violated all of it. Don't think if you can just pick and choose and say, well, I never murdered anybody, but, well, I'm thankful you didn't murder anybody, but you still have sinned. So eventually, this is our lives, this sort of blackness. But now back to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took on this, so that we stand before the Lord one day like this. Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. Jesus took on those sins so that we can stand in the only way possible to be able to enter heaven with our sins washed away. Jesus is that who. And then we get to the now what. The last part of the lesson this morning, the now what. I think one of the best now what chapters of the Bible is Romans chapter 8. We've referenced Romans several times this morning. Romans chapter 8 is essentially a list of all the blessings we receive for being Christians. 
you scan this chapter, you're going to see all the things that you receive spiritually from being in Christ. Starts off really as a theme verse, you're not going to go to hell. For there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You might want to put that on the mirror. You might want to think of that more often. You might want to think of that in order to stay close, as close to the Lord as possible. In Christ, there is no condemnation. If you leave the Lord, there is. If you don't obey the gospel, there is. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. In verses 9 through 11, he tells us of the Spirit. Now, however, <clears throat> you are not, <clears throat> you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you through the body, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Thank you, Lord, for that. He goes on to say that we will have future glory because we are Christians. We are, we've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, verses 18 and 19. For I consider that the sufferings at this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. We are going to receive glory. Somebody also divided up the book of Romans that it's about, the first part's kind of about justification, the middle part's about sanctification, the last part's about glorification. We are going to receive glory one day because we're in Christ. He goes on to say, we have a hope in verses 24 and 25. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope for, what, for who hopes and what's already, he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So we still have to live here in the time being. We still have to live here now. And while we're here, we have a hope that's bursting out of our chest. A confident expectation that God is going to do what he said he's going to do and have that place prepared for us because we live for him. We get help in our prayers, verses 26 and 27, the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God, the saints being us, the saints being Christians. What a tremendous blessing that is. How, how many times have you thought, I don't even know what to pray about. I know I need to pray. I know there is a weight on my shoulders. I don't even know what to pray about. I don't even know what to ask. I don't even know... Why I feel this way? My head is spinning. Things don't seem to be working out. We have help. In a way that I can't explain other than what's in those two verses. 
We have providential care, one of the most famous verses of the New Testament for Christians. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We're going to let God work that out. Not everything is good, but God's going to work all those things out for good. If not here, ultimately in heaven. And if you read anything the Apostle Paul wrote, this is the way he lived his life. He said, I've been shipwrecked, beaten within an inch of my life a few different times. By the way, I wonder what Paul's back looked like by the time he died. You read about what happened to him. He, he was a mess, physically. But he said, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. God is going to work this out. He's going to take care of me. And we have that final reassurance of the love of God when Paul mentions to end the chapter about all the possible things that can happen on earth. He said, famine, nakedness, sword. He listed the worst things that could happen in life in those days. There's a famine you didn't eat. You didn't go to Burger King. If the thing didn't grow out of the ground, you didn't eat. You starved to death. Sword, the wars we talked about earlier. People went off to war. Naked, he didn't have clothing. He said, let me think of all the worst imaginable things could happen to somebody, the things that would ruin their lives, things that would make them burst out in tears. He said, I don't, I've listed all of them. Nothing will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you're at the very, very bottom, and you are living all those things, Don't ever look up and say, well, you don't love me anymore. Also, don't ever let that cross your mind. He didn't stop loving you. He's just doing things his way. And even in the midst of those sufferings, there's great blessings that are happening and opportunities for people to serve you and for you to serve them. God is still God. And so that's why I hope all of us could one day say these words that Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20. We've taken this verse and made a song of it. We've put it to music. This is a song that puts us in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith so-and-so, by faith so-and-so, all those people from the Old Testament. This is the New Testament version of that. I hope all of you could say on your last day on this earth. For I've been crucified with Christ. He said, it didn't kill me. When I'm, not, I'm not talking about a crucifixion like that. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I'm still alive. I live by faith. Hebrews 11, by faith, so and so. I live by faith. In what? In who? The Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice how personal. For God so loved the world. That sounds impersonal. So go ahead and just put your name 
Everywhere you see the word I, when you see the word me, put your name. Wouldn't that be a great way to start your day, thinking of it that way? Wouldn't it today be a great day to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ? The gospel, the good news, the angelos, the good message. What's the bad part? that makes the good news good news, it's sin. But you have an opportunity this morning to obey the gospel, confess Christ as Lord and Savior, repent of your sins, turn away from those sins. We'll baptize you this morning, we'll immerse you this morning for the forgiveness of your sins. And why do we say that? Because that's the Bible answer for that question. And if you do what they did in the New Testament, you're going to get what they got. Do what you what they did, you're going to get what they got because God doesn't love them more than He loves you. You can respond this morning, become a Christian. If you need prayers, when the elders will be here, we'll pray with you this morning, try to assist you in your walk with the Lord. Whatever it is, please come while we stand and sing together.